We are very happy at the Silver Cord Radio to have the opportunity to interview such a wise and kindred spirit, Saraswati Davies. She is a published author, parapsychologist, psychotherapist, expert astrologer, Reiki master teacher, TV show host, and she is also an expert in dream state, cultural, and religious symbology. Hello, Saraswati Davies. Welcome to the Silver Cord Radio Show. All right. So what did you mean by TV personality? Well, I've done a number of TV. It's not my uh, favorite thing to do. I did produce a show that ran on Rogers for close to a year called Psychic Explorations. And it, we brought in all kinds of different um, alternative therapies and holistic medicine and tried to present uh, a good view of what's out there besides the established norm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all about that, finding out new information. What is a parapsychologist? A parapsychologist is someone who works with the existing rules of, peri- of psychology, mm-hmm. but is open to what runs beside it. So if people are having um, dreams, we don't just look at it being a Sigmund Freud suggested wish fulfillment or because they had something before they went to bed to eat, so it was upsetting and they had nightmares. We look at it on a number of different levels. If somebody is diagnosed with schizophrenia, for instance, um, there are people who have schizophrenic episodes, but uh, there are some people who hear guides, and there are some very big differences between the two. If those voices are, are being negative and telling them to do negative things or negative things about them, that's not a guide. Mm-hmm. But if that person is guiding them and giving them positive things, then it, it's possibly a spiritual guide, and there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that people are actually not just dreaming noises from their subconscious mind, but they're actually speaking to entities through dreams, right? They, they could be, or, or higher parts of themselves. Within your dream, you are everything in that dream. So if, if I dream of you, I have to think about what you reflect in me at this point. It's somebody who's asking me a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So I would I would use your image to ask myself questions in a dream by producing an image of you. All right. So if I understand, you mean that in your dreams, you're seeing a person, but that person might not be that person. It might just be an image, an interpretation of or a tag to some other entity. But you're seeing it as something that, you know, personally, like what do you see there? Well, it's kind of like when people have experiences with so-called ghosts. Mm-hmm. A ghost is a vibration. So if you if you go into a building, especially if it's wood, it's the same thing as going to a psychic at the psychic fair that takes a ring and they, they get impressions off the ring. Violent and strong acts leave impressions. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's very sensitive could walk into a building and they could see what we term as a ghost. And they tend to have repetitive actions. Uh, They walk up the stairs every night at 11 o'clock, the door slams, you know, it's very repetitive and it's on time. Mm -hmm. Somebody has poltergeist activity. It's not what people think it is. The poltergeist is the German term for noisy ghost. 
Mm-hmm. So it usually upon investigation, which is what a parapsychologist does, is if I'm called into a house where things are moving and doors are slamming, um, the first thing I'm going to ask is, is there a pubescent adolescent in the house? Really? Yeah, because they give off a kinetic energy and they don't know they're doing it. Okay. So if the if there's a lot of emotional turmoil going on in the in the teenager and he's not allowed to express it either through fear or whatever the reason is, uh, that energy will come off it as a kinetic energy and it will move things. You know, if it's strong enough. Once the child is worked with, the phenomena seems to stop, and then there's an apparition. So your apparitions are either visual or they're audible. Like usually they're not the same. You don't see somebody walk into your room and they speak to you in a voice mm-hmm. it's usually telepathic or you hear a voice but see nothing now we're still wondering about such things there certainly are times when i've been contact something outside of myself with information that i have no way of knowing mm-hmm. but on the other hand is it is the parapsychologist will say well is it the subconscious because if i go to bed at night and I've checked everything, and I've checked the doors and everything else, and I get into bed, and I have the thought, oh, there's a fire in my living room. I'm probably going to say, oh, that's ridiculous, I just checked. Mm-hmm. However, great aunt Sally comes and stands at the end of my bed and says, get up, I'm going to move, right? Okay, so you're so, checking your realities, right? You're checking your realities okay. before you label something as being paranormal. Mm-hmm. And then once you've checked your realities, then you can look at something and say, okay, I don't have anything to explain this. Let's go further and see. Mm-hmm. Have you had a, uh, a personal experience of uh, either poltergeist or uh, uh, what you're describing like now, uh, of a spirit apparition or anything like that in your life? Um, I have a deal with the universe. Uh, they're allowed to speak to me. They're allowed to send me thoughts. And they're allowed to work through dreams, but I don't want to see anybody because it just freaks me out. (laughs) (laughs) Rightfully so. So my father tried to appear to me once, but he kind of only got halfway and I cut him off at the waist. Talk to me, come in dreams. So now that's the way it is. And that's what a parapsychologist does is most of the time people come to me because they're experiencing something and they don't know what it is. Yeah. My job is to teach them how to channel that and make the rules. So it's kind of like a radio station that's not quite on the channel, so they're getting a lot of zzzz mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. My job is to help them adjust that channel so they can see clearly and to make the rules, the pathways by which they can receive information, whether it's from above or within. Okay. So um, you mentioned uh, as well that a parapsychologist is also a researcher. What kind of research does a parapsychologist do? Um, I've been called in many, many years ago when I was just starting and taking my my courses. Um, I would be called in by people in the middle of the night because they were seeing things or there were apparitions. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times people see things when they are in an altered state, which means that they see things when they put themselves in an altered state. (laughs) So... (laughs) So if they've been drinking, okay. uh, they might suddenly start seeing something on the wall. My job is to go in and make sure that there isn't something that's reflecting by light a shadow on the wall. Mm-hmm. So it's like an um, investigation, basically. It's an investigation. Yeah. Okay. Now, I like women that there's nothing. I mean, I've had situations where I've been called in where little ones, especially uh, who are very talented, like to move things around. So. Mm-hmm. 
young children, two and four years old, parents go into the room and all of a sudden the toy car goes across and it happens repeatedly. <laughs> it's that child playing with their energies. They haven't learned yet. They can't do that. So it's my job to go in and, and check and clean the place. Um, there, are, there are methods for cleaning residences mm -hmm. or businesses that you can use. And quite often, it doesn't happen so much anymore, but when I first started investigating in the 80s, uh -huh. I would go into a house where there was definitely a monster or some kind of evil entity in the house. Now, that doesn't mean that there's evil entities. What it means is the house went upon research. We would, we would find that there was a group of hippies living in there. Okay. And they had done wonderful jobs with their LSD and mind-altering drugs and created, I mean, we can create those types of energies. If you Really? If you concentrate on something long enough, it will appear. Okay. And you're, and you're finding that, uh, or through your researchers, you're finding that the belief structures of kids, because they're so pure, are, are able to manifest more because they kind of believe, or what is it with the kids? Well, it's not a case of belief. It's our natural state to be okay. able to communicate telepathically. Okay. So children, you don't have to speak to children. You only have to look at children and think of children. And it doesn't have to be threatening, but you don't have to yell. No, it's they know. As they get older, the system teaches them that this is not possible, that this is extraordinary. And we have to come as adults upon becoming awake and conscious that this is not extraordinary. It's our natural state. Mm -hmm. so everybody has these gifts. They just need to develop them. Okay. And you do call them gifts. They are gifts. <laughs> 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 All right. So, listen, a parapsychologist, uh, do you perform any type of therapy, I mean, for people? Uh, because it, it is called parapsychology, psychology. So, is there any form of therapy that involved yes, in that and field? I, and, and that gets confused with psychic readings. And it's one okay. of my, you know, soapbox questions. But um, psychic readings are... I don't do psychic readings. Okay. I, by studying and knowing the systems that have been passed down from ancient societies, that there's a specific way of life unfolding. So the tarot cards, for instance, they don't predict a future. Mm -hmm. They predict a pattern that we all go through. Okay. And my job using the tarot cards kind of gives me an indication of where in that pattern of 22 steps is the person, you know, and why are they experiencing it? Well, they're experiencing it. Say they get the tower. Everybody freaks out over the tower because it, people are falling from the sky and lightning. And, and what that is, it's card number 16. It means they've done all the steps to card number 16. Now the, um, the walls of their experience of the classroom that they're in, whatever they're, they're learning or experiencing are falling away. Mm -hmm. So they can go on to the next step and prepare for the next cycle. It's not a circle, it's a cycle. Mm -hmm. I read up on your book and your book, uh, The Science of the Matrix and I, and I went on the net and I found the meaning in a dictionary of the matrix. It says it's a uh, something that constitutes a place or a point from which something else originates or a substance, a situation or an environment in which something has its origin, takes mm -hmm. from or is enclosed. Do you think that 
according to your book and according to the the uh, meaning of the definition of matrix, do you think that humanity is or the spirit is is contained in in some form of a matrix? as we exist in the physical world. Well, um, yes, I do. Um, two things I want to say about that. One, the best way to get through it is to look at it like a, a computer game, okay? You, you give, you're given a challenge, and the better you are at this game, the harder the challenges get, like in any computer game. Level one might be easy, but level 110 is going to be really hard. And you have to figure out how to get either around it or through it or over it. And you use tools, uh, personal growth tools, to um, to do that. The other thing that I want to say about the Matrix is if you go back into the Gnostic scriptures, and the Gnostic scriptures are the ones they threw out of the Bible at the Conference of Constantinople. And so you get the picture of all these bishops sitting around saying, well, we don't want them to know this and we don't want them to know that. They became the Gnostic Gospels. And in there, the god they talk about is called the Demiurge. Okay. And the Demiurge is very much like the god of the Old Testament. It's punishing. It's uh, in charge. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Demiurge is a very serious guy. And he has 12 archeons that help him do his work. 12? The number 12, like the 12 disciples and yes. 12 masters, like they mention. Interesting. The 12 planets. The 12 planets, exactly. And the, um, the, the what the Gospels say is the Demiurge didn't just come to be. Mm-hmm. It was created. And it can't do anything unless it's fed an image. So if it's fed an image, then it produces the image. Interesting. Okay, but also it thinks it's in charge. Okay. It's like so the ego. complex that it actually believes that it's in charge. Okay. And it's God, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know that it's been created. Okay. So it's like a massive computer. And this is where, this is the part of the equation that books like The Secret don't tell you. Because if you know you're dealing with a computer, it makes your, your whole way of dealing with life different. And this computer cannot conceive of a negative image. So if I say I don't want to ride my bike, I can't not visualize myself riding my bike. Mm -hmm. It goes, oh, I've got a picture of her riding the bike. She must want to ride her bike. Uh So then I have to change my thought pattern into I want to run or I want to exercise or I want to go swimming. I can't do the I don't want to because it doesn't get that. It doesn't speak English. It only gets images. Okay. In the tarot deck, which is an an ancient book that was passed down to us, card number six is called the lovers. You have the male looking at the female who looks at the angel in the sky who then looks down at the male. The male represents the conscious mind, what speaks in words. It sends the message to the female, which represents a subconscious mind, which translates those words into pictures. The subconscious mind sends it to the angel or superconscious mind. It says, oh, that's what they want. Here we go. So the more we don't want something, the more we get. You know, that's that's very interesting as well that you've mentioned that everything is visual. 
studying a little bit on uh, Egyptology and the pyramid, even their language and everything was written like in images, visualization. They, they were very visual. Do you think that ancient civilizations had information, more information or, or higher technology than we understand today? Or, or they understood more about the demiurge, like you said? Do you think that these ancient civilizations had knowledge that was lost? Because they were all about the visual. That's a complicated question, but I'll try to break it down. I believe, first of all, I don't think they had technology that we don't Okay. Uh, at the highest level. We have it. Has the knowledge been lost of how to use it? Yes. Has it been deliberately put aside so that people could have power over? I mean, you don't want everybody knowing that they can run their own lives, right? If you want a political structure. So... I think it's been deliberately buried, and they continue to do that because it's easier to control people than have them run free. Absolutely. I think we cheat ourselves by thinking indigenous and people who lived long before we did were less intelligent or... Or more, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this... This brings me to uh, the subject of the secret. What do you think? Because you're talking about control and people having control over their destinies. And the secret have sold us on the fact that with our positive thinking, we can do anything. I think the issue that I have as a parapsychologist, I mean, this is what I do for a living. So Mm -hmm. uh, the secret tells people that all you have to do is think positive and you'll get whatever you want. What the secret doesn't tell you is that the reason you don't have whatever you want is because you've got programming inside of you that is preventing it. Okay. So if you want something and you can't get it, you have to look to your own programming. I mean, and your own programming can be really, really simple. Like the the mother that stands there and says, gives her child a a chocolate bar in the grocery store because he's driving her crazy and says, you you know, I'm going to buy this for you, but you don't deserve it. He takes that. So he has to go and, you know, part of what I do as a parapsychologist is I'm almost a human programmer. Okay. Get people to understand where their blocks are, where their thinking lies, and change that around. Take a different attitude with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give you an example of programming, when I was first married, you know, I'm, I'm older now, so I understand. Um, he needs space. He needs to walk. Okay. But when I would argue with my husband, or he would argue with me, because I never argue with anybody, of course, mm-hmm. and he would want to go for a walk, and that scared the life out of me. I used to beg and cry and carry on because I didn't want him to leave, because in my head, I thought, if he leaves and something happens to him, it's going to be all my fault. And this went on for many, many, many years until I started doing some work. And one day, he went to walk out the door, And I just keeled over and laughed and laughed and laughed. And, of course, he didn't leave. He said, what's the matter with you? Why are you laughing? And I said, I just figured it out. I remember being a very little girl, probably pre-verbal. I suspect my parents had had an argument or a fight or they weren't getting along about something. They were together for many, many years. But this would have been, they were young people. They would have been maybe 28, 29 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And my mother, after my father would go to work, is she would go upstairs and pack her bag and threaten to leave home. Well, this little 
pre-verbal three-year-old thought, thought it was my fault mm-hmm. because I didn't see the interaction between the, the parents. So I automatically assumed she must be leaving because of me. And I beg and cry and please don't go. And I unpack her bag. And suddenly, because I had been doing the work that I needed to do, that image snapped into my head. Yeah, kids do tend to uh, blame themselves when uh, the parents are fighting or, or if there's a divorce involved and stuff like that once as well. I, once I understood where that fear was coming from and that it was irrational, it didn't matter to me anymore whether he mm-hmm. went out for a walk. <laughs> All right. So, But I do have a problem personally. I mean, yeah. and I'm in process like everybody else. Um, we're learning, you know. Yeah. And I, I have a problem with the fact that, I mean, uh, no matter how much positive thoughts you have, I mean, if you're if you're like a eight year old girl, let's say I'm exaggerating, mm-hmm. and you want to be the president of the United States, for example, right. no, there's no positive thinking in a world that's going to make that happen, you know. So, uh, the, the, positive thinking. If, if you know, the, the natives have. Um, a saying it's called, uh, let me think now, um, Windigo Khan. Mm-hmm. And it describes people, very special people, that think backwards. Okay. They visualize or they know their goal. I'm not even sure it's a visual thing. I'm not sure it's a conscious thing. They just know where they're going. Okay. And they will work backwards to where they are. So I kind of look at it. Like, you, you do really. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I, I'm just. You do realize that people that know where they're going mm-hmm. is a very rare thing. <laughs> I know, but it, it's like I want to get here. I, I see it as bowling alley. Okay. So pins are my goal, and then I see all the bumps. If I want to get to that goal, what am I going to have to go through? What am I going to have to do to get there mm-hmm. ahead of time, so that when I get to those bumps, I know how to handle them. So there are going to be less bumps for me to to to, to uh, deal with. Mm-hmm. I understand. But it, it's more of it's. Then that's the problem with the secret. It's like visualize, but no work. Mm-hmm. What if one of those bumps says, "You're never going to make it." Mm-hmm. You know, how do I deal with low self-esteem? Maybe I need to get my self-esteem up. So it it's not magic. It's psychology. Mm-hmm. To a, another question that I really want to ask you, uh, you know, in the uh, 70s, the 80s, maybe at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, 90s, uh, we seen a movement happen, uh, and we everybody was calling it the New Age movement, and even to this day, uh, on some sites, they'll, they'll ask you for your religion, you know, uh, when you're describing yourself, and they'll still have this little check mark where you could actually call yourself a new ager back then i thought it was fantastic it was it was something new you know instead of having just religions and non-religious people you had new age which was pseudo spiritual and there's still people to this day that are calling themselves new agers what's your intake on this this new age movement during the 80s, I did a lot of work with people who referred to themselves as New Agers. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a good thing in the sense that people started to be more positive. They learned to meditate. They started paying attention to the food they were eating. There, there were so many positive things about it. Mm-hmm. But in 1989, the stock market crashed. 
Now, most New Agers were yuppies. They <laughs> were doing very, very well. Their investments were paying off. Their jobs were good. They were able to be very creative. It was a good time in the mm-hmm. 80s. Everything was in good. In 1989, the stock market crashed. Everybody fell apart. And I was doing readings at the time, which was when I decided to get my degree in psychology because people weren't asking me, what about my relationship? What about my job? They were going, he's drinking. Um, he's abusive or she's fooling around on me. And I'm going, I'm not ready to deal with this. So I went back and added a degree in psychology to my parapsychology degree Mm -hmm. so that I could deal with helping helping my clients. But I came away from it. Again, it's because there's work involved in growth Mm -hmm. and people aren't ready to do it. So I, I say, what is the difference between a Christian and a New Ager? A Christian will do pretty much what he wants all week in his own morals. On Sunday, he goes to church, and when something goes bad, he prays like hell. <laughs> you know, a New Ager meditates, eats brown rice, and just creatively visualizes all me. And when something goes wrong, he forgets everything he's learned. You know, it's a learning process. You have to be willing to work on yourself. You have to be willing to face the shadow side of yourself that we don't like. And most people aren't willing. And things, programs like The Secret or these... CDs that will teach you how to get anything you want. What they aren't there for is if you want to change your program, you've got to change the way people see you, the way you make money, the way you communicate, the way you have your home, the way you deal with your creativity, mm-hmm. your service to the community, your relationships, your um, psychic side, your spiritual side, mm-hmm. your career your associates, and eventually it comes around to the karma. So when it hits karma, and this is the difference. Karma is not something you do something bad, you get punished for it. It's if you haven't diffused the right buttons, mm-hmm. when karma hits, all of those things are going to start manifesting. And people say, oh, I, I'm, I'm learning this lesson, or this is the lesson I'm supposed to be learning. That's, it's not that at all. There's no lessons for anyone to learn. However, if something goes bad, and you say, what can I learn from this? Not what should I learn, but what can I learn? Then you start to grow. It's not somebody else's problem. Oh, I'm in this situation because of what everybody's doing to me. It's like, I'm in this situation. What can I learn from this? How can I grow higher? If there's work involved, some people are going to be looking for the incentive at the end of the work. Where do you see the incentive come from? For a human being living here in in the physical world on the planet, what is the motivation? Well, I'm not sure for anyone else. I can't speak for anyone else, but it's self-actualization. It's Maslow's steps. Mm -hmm. Working towards being a self-actualized conscious individual. Because one of these days, you're going to be 60, and it's going to be up to you to guide the younger ones. If you're self-actualized, how can you guide them? So it's, it's, it's part of evolution. It's part of who we are. So it's a, it's a better life. If I can't take the lesson out of something and it's blocking me, I'm going to stay there. Mm-hmm. And that, that situation is going to keep happening. If I don't deal with my daddy issues, it's going to affect my relationships, my marriages, my relationships with men I would work with. And until I deal with it, it's always going to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea. You, what can I learn from this? You just keep growing. 
Now, on another subject, why are bad psychics dangerous, in your opinion? We have certain energy centers that are connected with levels of consciousness. Most people know those as the chakra system. Your solar plexus chakra is where you feel. It's where you get impressions from. You walk up to somebody and all of a sudden you don't like them and you don't know why. Or you walk up to somebody and you really like them and you don't know why. Some people read psychically from that level, okay? But you're going to get a lot of fear coming out of there. Oh, I feel something bad is going to happen to you or I feel this is going to happen. But they haven't opened up the other centers, especially the seventh center, which is the spiritual. So somebody who is spiritual is always psychic, but somebody who's psychic is not always spiritual. The advice isn't going to be proper. It's not going to be helpful. And some people will, uh, and do, uh, if we call them charlatans, um, they will deliberately feed you negative information. Mm-hmm. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, if I give you negative information, the demiurge doesn't accept the negative, but mm-hmm. I the image in your brain, and even if you don't believe me, it probably will happen or something like it. I think I'm a good psychic, I'm mm-hmm. back to see me, and I make money. Absolutely, yeah. Do you think that these people are, are evil or just self-deluded? It depends. I mean, there are people out there that will tell people that, oh, I know why you're having trouble, you've got a curse on you, and for your life savings, basically, I will remove it. That's pretty evil. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in evil in the universe, but I certainly know it exists on this planet. Then there's, there's a class of people who are learning, and they're doing psychic readings, but they're not trained. They don't know what they're doing, and so therefore, inadvertently, might hurt somebody with the reading. Okay, so um, how can you tell uh, from a charlatan, uh, fraud, or a truly spiritual teacher or healer? Or? As soon as they start telling you negative things. Mm-hmm. As soon as it, it makes you feel like something bad is going to happen. Okay. As soon as they st- try to create a dependency in you. I don't make next appointments. This is why I'm not a rich woman. Create a dependency yeah. in somebody. I want, I'm a teacher. I want them to grow. I want them to learn. I'm still growing and learning myself. So mm-hmm. it never stops. It's, it would be pretty boring if we stopped growing and learning. But if somebody tries to charge you exorbitant amounts of money to take, or even tells you there's a curse on you, that's called sympathetic magic. If I can get you to believe it, I might be able to get you to produce it at least 75% of the time. And they make a lot of money doing this. A real spiritual teacher will only talk to you about love. And they will, if they do see, for instance, I see things in cards. I had a reading once, uh, was at a psychic fair that I was doing, and um, this gentleman came along with his wife, obviously had never had a reading before, and I sat down, and I laid the cards out, and it was obvious, this man was dying, and I looked mm-hmm. at him, and he looked at me, and there was that unmistakable, you're right. So instead of saying, this man is dying, because <laughs> that's just totally unethical, mm-hmm. I said to his wife, I said, looks like you guys are doing a lot of stuff together. Oh, she said, yes, we do everything together. I said, I bet you even drag him shopping. He, he said, yeah, make him come shopping with me. And they were quite in love. And so I said, well, you know, I see new people coming in. You should go out and join a, a club, a ladies club, get involved with the red hats or, you know, go out with your girlfriends. My job wasn't to tell her he was dying. My job was to make sure that she had support. 
So the information that I get from cards isn't necessarily for me to tell the person. It's for me to tell the person the best way to handle what's coming. He came back later and said, thank you. That's what he had. He had apparently walked around for quite a while in that psychic fair to find the right person. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here we are. Uh, we have people that are giving people predictions about their lives. And mm -hmm. how dangerous is it for somebody to pick up on that and try to make this prediction happen? Because, like you said, you could self-actualize the, the prediction. Right. And I think that the could send somebody off on the loop for a very long time. Do you think that that's part of the dangers? They're sending somebody on some belief that they're going to be something that they're never going to be. What do you think about that? Is that positive thinking or influencing somebody positively uh, towards some goal or something? Say a person wanted to be a dancer mm -hmm. and they would really like to be a dancer and they come to me and say, you know, am I ever going to make it? Am I ever going to be a dancer? My first question to them is, is, um, are you taking dance lessons? No. Practicing at home? No. Then, no, the probability is they're not going to be a dancer. If the person is trying, I mean, if that's their passion and that's what they're thinking about and that's all they want to do and they're working at it, they'll make it. But it's not a magic wand. And it's much harder to get positive prediction fulfilled than it is to get a negative one. All right, so... I'm reading up here that you've enrolled in Wilfrid Laurier University and, and completed your uh, degree in parapsychology, Eastern religion, Native American studies, and women's studies. How did Eastern religion, Native American studies, and women's studies all come together as a parapsychologist to help you uh, understanding humanity? The reason that I did it is I know I'm a traveler, and I noticed that the root rituals of the indigenous people all over the world were pretty much the same. And at the, in those days, when I was younger, I still believed that there was no contact between these people. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense. So I, that's why I studied um, religion and culture. I wanted to find that silver thread that ran through all of it. The silver cord. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, in any religion, it doesn't matter, or system, there are three levels. There are the masses, there are priestly castes, the people who teach the masses, and they know a little bit more than the masses. And then there are the adepts. And when you're talking about an adept, you're talking about someone like a Jesus or a Buddha or Krishna or any of these. When you become an adept, the religion and the system disappear because it's all the same thing. At the root base of everything is love yourself, love your, love your God, love yourself, and love your neighbor. And if you can't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. And you've studied privately with the Wolfland Mother, uh, an elder of great respect, as you said, uh, on the Six Nations just here in Brantford, Ontario. Can you tell us more about this? What did you learn from this elder from a native point of view? Well, um, it was during my undergrad degree, which I finished in 1996. Mm -hmm. I was taking a course on um, indigenous uh, belief structures, and we were told to bring in paraphernalia and do a presentation. Mm -hmm. And I did. I brought in my feather and I brought in some tobacco and I thought I had it all. I was right on. And the professor let me um, go through my whole presentation. And then afterwards, he turned to the class and he said, do you realize what she just did is total misappropriation? Really? I, I wanted to die. I wanted to go on the desk. I wanted there to be a big hole and it swallow me up. 
And it bothered me and bothered me and bothered me because I have a lot of friends who are First Nations and those things that I took in had been given to me. Mm -hmm. So after a while, I went to the professor and said, um, you know what? You've really upset me. He had no idea that he had. And I said, if I am, in fact, misappropriating, I need to know it. And I want to do my paper on misappropriation. Okay. You know, I see I see his point of view. Let's say if you're a university graduate or a university studying student and you and you go into these, you know, reserves and, and you start appropriating but from what I understand is that you actually were living with them. You just befriended yes. them and they were your family. It's not like you just walked in. He was absolutely right. Oh because at the time that was the beginning of my understanding of First Nations people. Okay. Before, it was the clan mother who introduced me to the fact that I've often been ashamed of what white people have done to Native people. Mm -hmm. Until that day, I had never been embarrassed because I found out that First Nations, what we call like to call reserves, which I, they're First Nations, are not part of Canada. First Nations people don't get away with not paying tax. They are not part of Canada. And once I understood that and came to terms with that, then I was able to use my knowledge and my my willingness to learn from them. Mm -hmm. And that's where most of the after shortly after that, I went to Mexico and spent two years with the Wicholis and it, have been befriended by them. I consider First Nations my family. Mm -hmm. How was it that you happened to land there, you know, and actually live with these people? Well, actually, what happened was um, I was taking courses on my undergraduate degree. It was my last year. And I was introduced to a woman on First Nations who was having um, a peyote ceremony. She was bringing up someone from Mexico and certain women had been invited to participate and, and, and men, men and women. And it was a great honor to be asked. Mm -hmm. And Guadalupe de la Cruz Rios came from Mexico and ran the ceremony. And the day before, after, the day after she arrived... This lady called me and said, Guadalupe would like a reading. And I went, who, me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This woman who is this great shaman, known all over the world, why would she want a reading from me? <laughs> anyway, I went and I did the readings for her and her um, her ladies she brought with her. And I asked her, I said, why would you want a reading from me? And she said, we all, we're all growing. We're all needing to know things. Mm -hmm. We can always see ourselves, right? So she invited me to go to Mexico to take part in the medicine hunt that would happen the following year. So I went to their village and I stayed. Actually, I landed up staying for almost two years. Mm -hmm. and um, participated in the medicine. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it was quite enlightening. It opened my eyes. I, I had a new age friend who knew where I was and said, oh, when you come home, you must tell us the predictions. Mm -hmm. So she arranged all her ladies, and I got into the room, and she went, okay, so what are the predictions? All I could say was, it's already happened. You need to step out of your comfort zone in order to understand, and there's not much I can tell anyone about it because, and this is also with the secret, they're not asking you to step outside your comfort zone. And if you don't set that step outside your comfort zone, 
you won't see the truth. Mm-hmm. And also, um, not just a native culture that you've brushed with. Like, uh, I remember reading up on Love Sang Rampa in the beginning of the New Age era. And when I traveled to Hong Kong, I, I arrived at these temples, you know, and then I thought I was going to find great spiritual insight, maybe meet a master. And it crushed me a bit to find out that there was nothing like that at all. I found that spirituality had came to a stop around Hong Kong and uh, Buddhism wasn't really happening anymore. You actually went into one of those Buddhist temples, stayed there a bit. Tell us a bit about that. How did it happen to you? Did you find any spiritual insight in there? Did you meet a master? Or how did it go for you? Well, I was teaching in Seoul, South Korea, and we had a week off. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I was going to check in with the local monastery, the Buddhist temple. So I did. What I learned there, I learned about a little bit more about meditation than I, I had known. I didn't think at the time that I got spiritual enlightenment from there. But what I did learn was that these monasteries run on a housekeeping system. Yeah. <laughs> For instance, no talking. Well, if you have no talking, you have no gossiping. You had a set of bowls that were yours and you were responsible for it, clean them, put them away. Every monk there did. So there was no housekeeping. There was jobs assigned for you to do. And most of the day was spent in meditation. One of the more enlightening things that did happen, I was in meditation. I wasn't a very good meditator then. I really didn't know what I was doing. And um, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is four hours long. I'm never going to make it. And a while ago in my back in Canada, I had been in a Zen Buddhist class and the teacher had a stick and she's slapping it in her hand. And she's saying that light, this table and you, are they the same or are they different? And she's slapping the stick and walking towards me and saying, if you say yes, I will hit you 10 times with this stick. And if you say no, I'll hit you 10 times with this stick. <laughs> <laughs> a bit old school. Good <laughs> answer. I don't know. Yes. Oh. Back to the temple, I was sitting there and tired. And all of a sudden, I heard the master coming around with the stick. Mm-hmm. He's getting closer and closer and closer. And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to hit me with a stick. That stick that they walk around with isn't for hitting. It's to straighten your back. Oh. He puts it behind your back and straightens you up because after sitting for so long, you tend to strap. So I learned basics of meditation. I learned more from Swamiji here in Canada. Okay. And do you think that the posture that they're uh, striving for you to to achieve? Is it because your chi is traveling through your back as it's, uh, it's more straight? What's the purpose, yes. do you think? Yes, it aligns the chakra system up. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, each point, um, you think of it as junctions in, in computers, you know, where, where energies go. In order for your, your sound card to work, you have to have that flowing freely. If you're sitting straight, it aligns the back. It also grounds you with the earth and it aligns you with the sky. So, yes, it's important. Can you meditate without it? Of course you can. People who had disabilities wouldn't be able to meditate. They'll have less disabilities. Oh. (laughs) Because the nadis will, pain is where a nadi, these energy channels get Mm -hmm. blocked. And just like an electric wire that's kinked, it goes around and around and around and gets hot and causes pain. What by meditating, what happens is that straightens that out. It's like an and eats everything. Okay, before we wrap this up, I want to go through a couple of things with you. I'd like you to talk to me about your uh, near-death experience when you were in your 20s. I think it's very important because you found yourself on the other side. Tell us more about that. I'd like to know. 
well, when I was 28, which is a fairly, um, 28 and 58 are very, very important years for a human being. And when I was 28, I uh, extremely ill, and I weighed less than 108 pounds. And I got married, and my husband put me to bed and covered me up the night of our honeymoon and just prayed I lived till morning. And um, I left. I got out of my body, and I left, and I walked over to the window. And I realized that I could just fly away. It was wonderful. But I, you know, they say never look back. <laughs> But I looked back and I realized that this young man, my son had not been born yet, that his life would never be the same. And I crawled back in. Mm. I slowly recovered. and But it shook my reality base enough that I started looking into metaphysics and paranormal because I know what I experienced and I wasn't somebody who was looking at those subjects mm -hmm. and those so, so you think that that experience of seeing yourself on the other side and your spirit actually realizing that it's not the body, it's just the passenger and all that, mm -hmm. has uh, propelled you towards the type of life that you had, which is a life of studying, a life of a seeker. Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. I mean, I get, that gave me reason to want to pass this message along. But I wanted to be sure of what I was passing on. There's nothing that I teach that I haven't experienced. How much of the, the astral, the other side of the curtain, can you tell us that from that experience, do you remember anything in particular, like what the other side looked like? What was the feeling when you were there? You know, was, all these type of things. It was pure love. It oh. was pure, pure. As it, I often describe it as, you know, the favorite relative, aunt, uncle, uh, grandmother, where you know they love you because the, the air is sticky. It's warm and it's sticky. Mm -hmm. that's that's the way it was and it was sunny and the colors were extremely bright and um i made contact with those that run the matrix and mm -hmm. they showed me who they were and the, the matrix again ah. <laughs> that to me is telling me that be nice be good, be loving to everybody you meet because we are pure love and you don't know their travels and their sufferings that they're going through. Like you'll meet somebody on the street and they're not going to be nice to you or they're, or they're not going to pay attention to you at all. They are the result of all these good and bad experiences that they're living at the moment. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And if you communicate with people instead of communicating to them you communicate with their spirit and our spirit is all the same so when i communicate with somebody i'm talking to their spirit mm -hmm. i'm not talking to maybe the part of them that is confused or messed up everybody is creator everything is creator we're all made from the same thing and if you learn to or if i learn to recognize that in each and every person and that's the person i'm talking to the other stuff falls away mm -hmm. well you know sarah i want to thank you very much for coming to talk to us it's very very insightful the knowledge that you have is to me is helping me also on my road as a seeker um, now i want to give you some time to talk about your book the science of the matrix well um the science of the matrix is a book on the tarot cards. This is not a learn to read tarot cards and amuse your friends type of book. It teaches you the program 
that we all run, uh, whether it's from life to birth or whether it's a new job or whether it's a new relationship. There are cycles within cycles, a cycle of 22. And if I have money issues, then I need to deal with them. And if I don't deal with them, it's going to appear in my job. I'll get a chance there. It'll appear in my relationships. It'll get a chance there. And slowly, slowly, I'll get to balance that out. So I teach people to read the tarot cards from that point of view. So my students all have to live that tarot card for a month and see that tarot card reflecting in their lives in different ways. So it's not about this means this or that means that. They actually know what it means. That's my online course. Let me be clear. I'm not saying there is no past, there is no future, because we can all see it. Living in the now is a meditation technique. So if I'm worried about the past, I'm depressed. If I'm worried about the future, I'm probably anxious. Mm-hmm. So if I'm depressed or anxious, what I have to do is bring myself back to where am I right now? Oh, right, right now I'm sitting in a room having an interview, enjoying it immensely. Um, I'm dry. I'm safe. I'm fed. I'm okay. That gives me a point of balance. That doesn't mean don't have goals, don't have things you want to do, don't see a future. It doesn't mean don't wrap all your programming up in a big box with a bow and when you get blocked, go searching through it and fix it. Mm-hmm. It means don't concentrate on it. Wonderful. And Sarah Davies, I thank you so, so much. This was a wonderful interview. And I'm sure that the uh, listeners have got a lot of information from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. 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 <laughs> Stay means the God in me or the force in me salutes the force in you. And the force in me salutes the force in you and everybody else that's listening. And thank you for tuning in. Okay. And thank you, Sarah Davies. And hopefully we'll have a chance to talk to you again in the future. Okay. Anytime. Namaste. Namaste. If you would like to get in touch with Sarah Swati Davies, uh, you can do so at Sarah Davies 47 at gmail.com. That's Sarah S A R A Davies at gmail.com. Also, if you like what we are doing, please visit our website at silvercordradio.com. There you can find out how to ask us questions, become a guest speaker, and if you wish to help us and continue the good work, you can become a member on Patreon.